So the title of our sermon this morning is called, Are You in His Will? And so there comes a time in an individual's life when they must come to a conclusion, what is real and what is fantasy? Some people believe their whole lives that they're going to be famous, they're going to make lots of money, they're going to be accepted by everyone. Some believe that they are the cream of the crop, and others believe that life completely revolves around them, but very few believe in the God of heaven for the impossible. Because there's a separation in the home, within family, within marriages, this causes confusion in the church. Then, you know, there's a responsibility that a Christian has. It's a lot heavier than they think. A lot more serious than what they believe. See, beloved, many people in the church today think that they must be in some type of ministry or uh, some type of ordained position to begin to help uh, in the realm of the church growing and or, or, or bring folks to church. Yet the Bible tells us differently. And this morning I pray that this sermon will challenge you, help you to understand the Great Commission that has been bestowed before us. There was a, I read this story about a couple of years ago. There was an atheist walking through the woods and he began to say, what majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals, he said to himself. And as he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. He turned, he looked, and he saw a seven-foot grizzly bear charging toward him. So he ran as fast as he could up the path. He looked over his shoulder and saw the bear was closing in on him. He looked over his, soldier, his, his uh, shoulder again, and the bear was even closer. He tripped and fell on the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but he saw the bear was right on top of him. Reaching for him with his left paw, raising his right paw to strike him. And at the instant, the atheist cried out, Oh my God! Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. And as a bright light shone upon the man, a voice came out of the sky. It said, you deny my existence for all these years. You teach others I don't exist. And even credit creation to cosmic accidents. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light. He said, it would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now. But perhaps you can make this bear into a Christian. Very well, said the voice. The light went out, the sounds of the forest resumed, and the bear dropped his right paw, brought both his paws together, bowed his head, and spoke, Lord, bless this food to my body if I'm about to receive. And some count this story to be funny at some point. And it may sound, uh, amen, comical in some point of this uh, story, but that this atheist, in many ways, knowing God, yet denies his power, it sounds like today's creation. If you have your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says this. Starting in verse 19, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the, sol- uh, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, 
And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now there's three different aspects, amen, of, uh, of, of how God looks at uh, uh, sin. One is actual uh, uh, iniquity. One is transgression. And one is pure sin. And so we have this, these aspects, amen, the Bible says from iniquity. He's speaking from people that are not, amen, uh, saved yet, but they hear the things of God. Uh, he wants them to turn from their iniquity, to come into grace. Uh, but transgression is something a lot more powerful. Transgressions means you made a trespass. That means you know what's right, but you still chose to do wrong. There's a lot of people that are living in transgression. Even what you want to call born-again believers. They cross the boundaries knowing what's wrong and they push the envelope. And they still say, I'm in God's will. I want to first speak about the solid foundation. Years ago, I studied on how the uh, Sears Tower was uh, built in Chicago. And I was kind of uh, dumbfounded to hear that the, 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 the building goes 200 feet deep into the ground. I was a little amazed by that. And that's what stabilizes the tower. And it keeps the tower from falling no matter what condition the weather's in. And as such, God wants us to have this firm, deep-rooted foundation. Amen. He wants His Word to be embedded deep in the core of our hearts. So no matter what circumstance we are in, we will still be able to stand. People over the course of years, they've, they've asked my wife and I, they see some of the stuff throughout the course of the 16 years that we've been saved, they've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. They've seen how we've uh, been stable uh, throughout the course of years through the issues of life. And they would ask us, how is it that you're able to smile? How is it that you're able to still be faithful to God? Because we, were, we are deep-rooted in the things of God. Not saying that we're perfect. Not saying that we're beyond uh, what God speaks about scarcely saved, but what I am saying is that we are very much embedded in the things of God, which stabilizes us in our time of, of need. In our scripture, Paul is writing to his disciple Timothy, and he's informing him of many things to expect and not to be alarmed in a way that it shakes his foundation. Don't be shaken on what you believe from the things you're going to be seeing. Because in our life today, in our time of, of, of in our generation, people are very shaken by what they see, especially in the church world. First Corinthians chapter three verse eleven says, "For no other foundation can anyone lay that uh, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." Amen. So this morning, beloved, I want to bring to your attention a word of truth that would allow you. To understand, amen, the very truth of God's word. And in his spirit, Paul was speaking to his disciple Timothy and reassuring him that the solid foundation that was laid still stands and will not be moved or shaken. It doesn't matter what people think about God. God is always going to be God. Amen. I've had people ask me, you know, when I witness to people, even at my job, and they'll begin to speak about other things that are happening in the church world. 
And I, I just, I said, you know what? I don't care what everybody else is doing. I know the God that I serve. Because no matter what, how people represent God, He's still holy. And I said, let me give you a good example. I said, you have a family. They say, right. And I said, you mean to tell me throughout the generations of your family, you don't have a murderer in your family? You don't have someone that's kind of crazy in your family? Can you think, oh, well, I do have a couple of cousins. And uh, uh, all right, so you mean to tell me I'm going to base you and how you are based on your family? You can't be different? And they begin to think and say, wow, I never thought about it that way. Well, you can't label every church the same. Amen. You can't say, I, I won't go to this church because I saw that church. There's, listen, I understand that everyone represents God with their mouths, but it has to be in here. And so the Bible quickly gives us a hope in knowing that God has a seal upon those who are His. He knows His children. Amen. That's a hope that I have. I know that when the sky splits, amen, that I'm living a life that God's going to say, that's my child. So what foundation, and what's the meaning of, of foundation? I, I began to look at this. It's an underlying basis or principle for something. And the, uh, the action of establishing, amen, an institution or organization, a permanent basis, amen, that means something that cannot be moved. The meaning of solid is firm, stable. Amen, it's not hollow. It doesn't con uh, contain spaces or gaps. There's no breach. Solid. And so the gospel is a solid foundation. He's, God has laid, amen, the chief cornerstone down. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and I, beloved. Jesus did the impossible. He laid down the foundation when he laid down his life for you and I this morning. He gave us a blueprint to follow that still stands over 2,000 years ago and has never changed for this promise, amen, for you and I so we can be saved. Hebrews 13.5, for, uh, 13, for he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That has not changed and neither has anything else. His word is solid. His love for us is solid. His desire, his plan for us is solid. And so should our dedication to him. Should be solid. The question is do you have a breach in your faith with Christ? Are there leak holes? Are there avenues that people can seep in and kind of kind of taint your faith a little bit? Are you giving the enemy a pathway to shake your foundation in Jesus Christ? See, there are courses in life that do change. They do. There are plans that we had that do change, but God's plan never changes. His word is sure and true, and He is not shaken by the circumstances in life, but He is the maker of life and the director of it, and we will do well to follow His lead and stand on what we know to be true rather than fall for the minute manager planner to our destruction. Did it ever cross your mind that maybe God has to throw some tar in the potholes or else we would have been dead a long time ago? <laughs> he is the chief cornerstone who is the support of our foundation. Without Him, everything else is going to fail. See, He knows His children. The Bible says, having this seal. 
Because the Lord knows those who are His. This should frighten those that are not really living for God. Because I thought about this. How many churches today are preaching such happy messages that is not dealing with people in their sin, not dealing with people in their circumstances, uh, the, the surroundings that they create, that they still think they're going to heaven? How many eternal disappointments are going to unfold in the day that they meet Jesus? This is scary. Time is passing. When I was told yesterday about the drive-by, I began to think about my family. I began to think about my wife, my kids. And, and I began to think, she, we're very active in our community, right? We go out, we drive around, we, we go to the same stores that everyone else goes to. We're involved in our Bridgeport community. What would have been different if those bullets would have been flying our way the time of, the, of that happening? Right? What if we would have lost one of our children? What if we would have been wounded? What if we... I began to ask the question. Would your faith have changed then? Would it have become a reality to you then? I began to really think about that because there's nothing stopping uh, those, act, those, those, uh, 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 those circumstances from coming our way. Yes, God's grace covers, uh, amen, His children. Yes, God's grace covers the... Yes, but that doesn't mean that we, we, we won't be victims of that. Would your faith have changed then? Would you have stood away from God more? Or would you have gone closer to God? Which one? I began to think about that. See, are you in His will? In English, we use foundation to describe a building or an association, but... In this context, what the Bible is speaking of this morning, the word foundation actually means church in Greek. Amen. So God wants to build a church in Bridgeport. Amen. That's going to spring forth revival to these people that are living on shaken ground. Paul goes on to say that the church has a certain inscription on it. That means it has a seal. And the seal proves genuineness or ownership. Not every church that's in Bridgeport has God's seal on it. Beloved, the seal on a sack of goods proved that the contents were genuine. Amen. When you see a seal on a certain package, you know that's genuine. If you don't see that seal, you know it's imitation. An architect will always on a monument or a statue or building put their mark to show that he was responsible for his design. And a seal can also be the inscription which indicates the purpose for which the building has been built. The same thing with us. God said there's a seal upon his children. So when we do God's will, God says, I'm responsible for that. When you're out of God's will, God says, that's not my child. I don't know who that child is. He doesn't belong to me. That should really put something in your heart. Because if you're not in God's will, God doesn't know you. The church has a seal which shows at once what it was designed to be. 
The church consists of those who belong to God, who have given themselves to Him in such a way that they, they no longer are owners of themselves, but that Christ is now the owner of their lives. John 5.30 says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but, uh, my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. Here's Jesus. See, I'm not doing this on my own. I have my Father's approval. That means everything that I'm doing comes from Him. Everything that you see me do comes from the, fa- from the Father. I have His seal of approval. John 8, 28, Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Once again, His Jesus giving credit to the Creator saying, listen, He's the one that put the inscription upon my heart to do what I'm doing. I have His approval. The church also consists of those who have departed from unrighteousness. That is not to say that it consists of perfect people, but if that were so, we would, we would have no need of the church. But people that left the unrighteous and sinful life to create and establish God's church here on earth. See, I have great need for all to understand that the great interest of God is not where a man has reached, as in the direction in which the man is facing. And the church consists of those whose faces are turned to righteousness. People may often fall, and the goal may sometimes seem uh, distressingly too far, but the faces of God's children are ever facing in the right direction. That means that no matter what circumstance we're in, we're facing toward God. We know who we belong to. Beloved, in short, the church consists of those who belong to God and have dedicated themselves to the struggle of righteousness. This is the solid foundation of the church of God and the saints who represent it. See, because God knows who are His. Lastly, I want to speak, will the Lord know you? Because this is a real question. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Matthew 12, 50, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. What is the will of the Father? What should the church that God wants to be erected on the, on the chief cornerstone, which is Christ and built on the solid foundation, His word be doing to know we are in the will of the Father? Winning souls. We are called to win souls for Jesus. Listen, when I got, uh, when I got uh, uh, my job in, in, in Connecticut, it was just a stepping stone and a turning point in what God wanted to do. God knew to put me in that store because there's dozens of people that live in Bridgeport that work there. Dozens. I'm talking about maybe 30, 40 people that live in Bridgeport that I can personally work with when I go to work, have that five, ten minute conversation that will change their minds to turn their hearts to Christ. You need to live for the King and stop living for yourself. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man 
traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey, amen, expected to come back. For, for the sake of time, here's the king. He says, listen, I'm going to choose three servants. I'm going to give you some talents and I want my interest when I come back. In short, that's what he said. He said, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back, but I'll be back. And I want my interest. And so we know the story. Here's the one that he gave five to. When the king came back, he said, here's five more. He said, you were faithful with little. I'm going to give you much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The one with the two did the same thing. Then the one in verse 24, then the one that he who had received the one talent came and said this. He said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. That means you're unfair. Reaping where you have not sown. That means you're lazy, Lord. Gathering where you have not scattered seed. You do nothing for me, God. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. That means he didn't make it his own. He said, I hid your talent. Because even though you gave it to me, I'm not claiming it, God. He said, look. there." He, then he got the nerve to say, look. Like he's speaking to nobody. There you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. He put wicked and lazy together. That's kind of scary. He said, You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him. Give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So that means everything that you have is going to be stripped from you. Cast and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, there are Christians that claim to know God. And they'll profess God all day, but they'll never win a soul for Jesus Christ. The Bible says, take everything that they got on their own, their riches, right? Their, their reputation, whatever it is that they strip them from it, and they're going to hell. Because the stuff that I gave them, they discredited it, and they, they didn't make it their own. And they said, here, you can have it back, God. I don't want it. I'm doing my own thing. God said, okay, when I come back, there's going to be judgment. Are you in his will? So we have here the parable of the talents. And we read the story, but there's an expectancy. And this shows the necessity, amen, of where we need to be in God. To lay out ourselves for the glory of God and the good of others. We have a trust that was committed to us. And God's going to come back. And we better be profitable. <laughs> they were given the responsibility to be fruitful. It is a sad reality that the, servants, that the servant with the one talent did not want to do anything with it. And I want to say that not only was, the, was he lazy, but he was not willing to risk the little that he had for others. We cannot and will not be like the others. 
And we are going to be profitable, but it's, it's like a slow cook. We don't want microwavable Christians. We want Christians that are going to be solid, groomed into what God is doing in our church. And this morning, beloved, you can make a decision to begin to be a part of His will so you too can be profitable. Amen. Let's be about our Father's business this morning. And let's do the will of our Father. Are you in His will?